Hi there, folks. It's Roger from There Be Giants, welcoming you back to another edition of Giant Talk. And we have yet another really interesting guest uh, to join us today. Very lucky to have with us uh, Alexandra Samuel. Uh, Alexandra is the pioneer in one of the pioneers in remote working, as she has worked remotely since 1998, back in the days before really the internet was a thing. Uh, she is also a speaker and author on the digital workplace and regular contributor to the Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review and is also, if it wasn't enough already, co-author of Remote Inc. How to Thrive at Work Wherever You Are. Alexandra, welcome to Giant Talk. Thanks so much for having me. No, you're very welcome, very welcome, very welcome. Now, I, I, I'm particularly interested uh, in in what you have to share with us today around um, sort of your insights into hybrid working and getting the most out of teams who have to work uh, in, in that way. I mean, since the uh, pandemic, I mean, a lot of a, a lot, a lot of organisations, a lot of workplaces have had to make this adjustment, um, but we see it cropping up quite a lot in our work. But before we dive into that, I'm just curious what what, what was it that led you to kind of looking at the relationship between, in, in your particular instance, the the link between sort of hybrid working and, and project management. Well. I mean, I've been I've been working remotely for, as you said, a very long time. I've been looking at how people and organizations navigate virtual work for even longer than I've been doing it myself. I, I first started doing research in this area in '96, and um, in my own career, you know, of course, I've had a ton of project-based work, often with. Um, hugely distributed teams long before we even used the term hybrid work. That was yeah. what we were doing. I was running a company that did online community building. Um, and, you know, we worked with, with clients all over the world, developers all over the world, designers all over the world. And when we came to this period where organizations were trying to navigate not just the practicalities of working in a hybrid environment, but the cultural impact of working in a hybrid environment, what it meant for their teams, what it meant for the organization, what it meant for trust. The experiences we had had leading, managing, running projects as a, as a distributed team um, really came back to me as a kind of template for the way you translate some of the individual best practices mm -hmm. of hybrid work to the specific needs of working on projects, which of course is so much of our work, but also a specific kind of work with its own requirements and its own tempo. Yeah, very much so. They do have, I mean, there's obviously a number of different methodologies that uh, we, we can choose from when we work with projects, depending on what context, I guess and what that, the focus of that project is. But yeah, the reality is that the teams have to be, uh, most, in, in many instances, um, distributed now. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's not that new. I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about hybrid project management is it actually, for a lot of people, is kind of a point of continuity from the before times, right? Like even people who were new to hybrid work 
or new to remote work in the pandemic era often had the experience of having Mm. worked on particular projects with distributed teams, even if they were in a traditional job with a team that was on site with colleagues they saw every day. Many, many people had had prior experience with clients in another city, vendors in another city, colleagues from a different you know, department of the organization located on a different campus. And so I look at project management in many ways as kind of the, the training ground for a lot of the practices that we have now had to adopt, even in our day-to-day continuous work with, with our immediate team. Mm. Gee, I mean, that's just sparked a thought for me. Do you think with that scenario that you've just uh, described there, where you've perhaps got a, a project team that's that's together and then other members of the team that are, that are perhaps remote and so on, do you end up, or is there a risk that you end up with um, a kind of core team and then kind of satellite members who yes. may yes. may kind of feel almost like a bit like second tier members of the team? Yeah, and there there is a lot of research around virtual teams um, around that exact risk, and it kind of can can play both ways. Sometimes you see that the offsite people feel excluded by the mm. quote unquote core team, and mm. then other times you see, you know, particularly in the current context where there's some inequality in who has the opportunity to work remotely, you can see the situation where people in on-site roles get frustrated because they're paying the cost of ha- being part of a distributed te- you know, team. Like they yeah. have to spend a lot of their time on Zoom. They don't get to, to have the spontaneity of popping their head into the next cubicle. And yet they still have the hassle of having to like put on pants and, and get on the subway and get to work. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit of the worst of both worlds. So what we often see is that, you know, there's been studies that show that in mixed organizations, um, people who are remote are happier but people who are on site become unhappier that's really interesting that's really interesting because i almost almost flips it in some respects yeah okay okay it's like it's so many things in organizations where you know anything that encourages people to have conversations where they share those perspectives and experience can actually do a lot to build the cohesion of the team um, because there is always that kind of grass is always greener dynamic mm. where, you know, you're on the team, you're on this hybrid project, you're super irritated because um, it feels like you're not part of the conversations that are happening in the office, or you're super irritated because you're coming into the office and you don't know when you're going to be able to find your remote colleagues available. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you just sit and fume and you fume all your way through, you know, the project, you're going to have a miserable six months and and a nice little ulcer by the time you're done. But (laughs) if you actually like bake a conversation about the process into um, the cadence of your team, then you can actually address those issues as they emerge and, and try and solve them. Yeah. Yeah. So, the re- as as I said at, at the start, the the thing that really drew me to you and your work was that I was thinking about um, the challenges that some of our clients face when they mm-hmm. have to kind of mobilize quite quickly as small mm-hmm. little teams. We tend to call them. I know this is unashamedly 
sort of nicking a term from agile, but we tend to call them squads because oh. it kind of reflects the fact that they're not a, like a functional team. There is a difference to to them being, you know, a, a, a sort of normal functional team. But these are these these are teams that have to spin up quite quickly because they find themselves uh, working on a particular strategic objective and maybe maybe not even doing the work themselves, but certainly coordinating a lot of activity in their respective areas of responsibility uh to to make sure that that particular strategic objective is 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 achieved and these team members often can be uh all over the world uh which obviously presents time time zone challenges i know but let's let's sort sort of start at the beginning let's let's think about right this team needs to come together so how would you recommend they go about setting themselves up for success to start with? Yes. Yes. Well, and this is where, you know, your framework around OKRs is so crucial, right? Because, um, you know, the way I look at it is the best practices for hybrid projects are fundamentally the best practices for projects, but without the margin for error or forgiveness. And so you really have to be crisp and clear at the outset, what are our objectives? Um, what are we uh, you know, going to accomplish with this project? What are our respective um, responsibilities? And having you know, a very clear kickoff where you address um, not just the project goals and the responsibilities, but also the expectations around how we're going to work together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's, what's my contribution going to be? Um, you know, what do we do if we have a, a disagreement? What do we do if we need somebody after hours in their time zone? And the more you can get clear on, um, tools, the technologies you're going to use to work together and stay in touch, um, communications, how frequently you're going to stay in touch, how you're going to be available to one another, how you each prefer to be in communication, and then, you know, those, those first order questions around responsibility and goals, you know, it, it, it can be irritating for people. Often when you're starting a project, everybody just wants to like roll up their sleeves and get to it. But it really is one of those sort of stitch in nine saves time, you know, I'm getting, mm-hmm. what is it? A stitch in time saves nine uh, scenarios, right? Where like, yeah, it's annoying to have an hour talking about process, but that hour of talking about process at the front end is going to save you all yeah. so much aggravation and miscommunication and frustration that it's totally worth the investment. Um, yeah. So it sounds like you're recommending almost a, like a contracting discussion to some degree there. You know, we're, we're agreeing how we're going to work together. We're agreeing kind of the ground rules in some respects um and uh and the like you say you know how, how do we like to be communicated with what channels do we use what would warrant an out of hours communication that mm-hmm. sort of thing yeah that sounds that sounds interesting yeah i mean i do th- i think of it as 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 agreements for sure I do wonder, you know, you're making me wonder whether agreements and contracts sets us up in the best way because you know, it's very transactional when we frame mm. it that way. And mm. in my own experience, I mean, I'm, you know, I've gotten very West Coast touchy feely in my 25 <laughs> years of living in Vancouver. But, um, you know, in my own experience, 
one of the practices I've come to adopt, you know, when I start a new project with a new client is to have a getting to know you conversation at least half an hour. Mm. Um, you know, for, for any two collaborators on the project, you know, it's, it's really better as a one-on-one. Any, any two people who are going to work closely together, they're just like, who are you? How does this project fit into the bigger picture of your professional responsibilities? How, what's your, what are you trying to do with your career? You know, like, yeah. is this project going to be important for you in like thinking about your next promotion yeah. or building a certain skill set? Um, do you have kids who come home at three o'clock? Like, is that a bad time of day for us to be talking? Like the kind of a whole human, um, you know, is it going to upset you if I swear? Or is that actually going to just make you more relaxed? Cause you're not going to worry about swearing. <laughs> like those the more you kind of can put yourself out there and kind of put all that stuff on the table at the outset, um, then it's 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 mm. not so much about contract as about relationship. It's like yeah. establishing a relationship of trust, finding that one like little thing you have in common. Like, oh, I have a Lego model sitting on the shelf behind me and you have a Lego sitting on the shelf behind you and we're both into Lego. Like whatever the thing is mm. that lets you like find that vibe of humanity that does more than anything, right? To really lubricate the, the whole process and to actually make the collaboration process a joy. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? When we, I, I think that with this, you know, massive explosion in working on video and obviously people working mm-hmm. from home. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, as you can probably tell, I'm, uh, I'm sat in my home office at the moment, but it's also. I think this is an opportunity for people to kind of share a bit about themselves with what you can actually see in the backdrop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you say mm-hmm. you, you, know, you can ask questions about it and that sort of thing. But but the, the, I think I do think the fundamental principle of getting this all established and getting this all agreed and kind of getting this all um, uh, you, you know really sort of out in the open to start from the start is really worth the investment. Um, I remember back it to, to days when I used to work on some very big um, IT infrastructure programs. And even though the scope perhaps was considerably larger in that instance, it was always the same thing that, that caused budgets to, uh, uh, to be overspent. And that was the failure to uh, adequately agree the scope and the ways of working and so on and so forth yeah. at the start of the project at the start yeah. of the program so it is you know you, you you invest in the foundations and you 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 then build a good project on on top of it yeah so okay so that's about getting it established that's about setting it up for success so what works well when running a hybrid team what what do you find is 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 kind of the the, the best way to approach it uh, you know, I, I think it's useful to talk about a, a couple of dimensions in terms of ongoing practice. One is the technology piece, because of mm-hmm. course, what you know, what defines a hybrid project is some portion of the work is taking place virtually. Um, at a minimum, you're probably doing video conferencing, but typically there's often you know an online project dashboard. There might be online document collaboration. If it's a technology project, there may be a shared code base, um, and so. You know, when when you're when you're working together online, and and frankly, this applies to people working within an office as well. Um, but when a when a significant portion of your work is unfolding online, your computer is essentially your workplace, right? Yeah. Like you're yeah. you're spending your day inside this screen, and you know, if you think I'm I'm talking metaphorically, 
remember that all of <laughs> all of these laws about not texting while driving or not being on the phone while driving is because there's significant research that shows that even when people have a headset on, simply being in a phone conversation with someone else mm. like, takes a huge amount of your consciousness into this sort of abstract virtual realm. We're extraordinarily good at kind of moving our, our brains out of the physical space that we're into, uh, that we're in, and into a kind of a virtual conceptual space um, where we are thinking of the project, where we are engaged with our colleagues. And, you know, just like it's nicer to be in a beautiful office with windows than stuck in a closet in the basement, mm. um, the, the feeling, the spaciousness, the warmth, the interface of your virtual workplace has a huge impact on your mental well-being and your productivity and your effectiveness. However, not everybody likes the same kind of environment. Again, you know, not everybody decorates their cubicle the same way. Not everybody prefers the same interface. There are even, you know, some hardcore folks out there who still like command line. So, um, <laughs> You know, a, a really good practice when you are setting up a, a, a project as a team, and, and frankly, I think it, it's kind of antithetical to the religion of most IT teams, is to provide room for people to choose their own tools and to really get clear about, like, what are the things where we really all need to be using the same interface, the same platform, and what are the things where people can choose what they like personally? So, you know, let's say that you're developing um, a new marketing campaign and you've got a team of people who are working together on different aspects of, you know, the actual marketing materials, the um, visuals, the text, the strategy, all these pieces. Well, you probably want to keep your tasks and your milestones in the same place. You probably want to agree on a video conferencing platform. Mm-hmm. Um, that you're all going to use because if I'm on, if I'm using Teams and you're using Zoom, our video calls are not going to connect. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if I'm drafting copy and you're creating visual assets, why should I get to choose what you're using for image editing? Mm, exactly. Why should I get to choose, you know, what you're using as your photo library? Um, why do you care if I'm writing in Word or Google Docs or Scrivener? Right. And so um, giving people more choice uh, has a few benefits. One is, you know, if people choose the tools they are comfortable with, their learning curve is easier. If Mm. people choose the tools that they enjoy using, they're going to be happier, they're going to be more productive. And then the third piece is just that, like, particularly when you're on a a project with a tight timeline and a really effective project manager, um, it's really nice for people to feel some sense of control over pieces yeah, of it, yeah. right? And and letting folks make choices about their own workflow is a sign of respect. It's very empowering, and um, it just creates a different kind of a power dynamic on the team. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's tools. Okay, tools. what what else? Um, would you recommend? I forgot you're going to make me talk about other stuff. I'm such a tech nerd. I can just talk about the tools. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, the other big piece, right, is meetings. Um, meetings are kind of the curse of hybrid projects um, because they're sort of the curse of the workplace in general. Like, there's very little you will hear people complain about more than meetings. Mm-hmm. And also, 
they're the thing that we all value the most. Even though people won't admit it, right? Like they won't say, oh, I love, well, there are some people who will say, I love meetings. But most people are like, I have too many meetings. My meetings are so off topic. My meetings go on too long, blah, blah, blah. But the flip side of that is that when you talk to people about what they don't like about hybrid work, they're like, oh, I miss the spontaneity. Uh, Well, what, what does that mean? I yeah. miss being able to talk to other people in real time. Oh, you mean you miss meeting, right? Like that's <laughs> that's what we love. We like to connect with our fellow humans. Um, and so how you use your um, real-time meetings is enormously significant to the effectiveness of the project and to people's subjective experience of that, of being part of the team. So, um, you know, you really do want to be very intentional about how you use meetings. You don't want those kind of like loosey-goosey meetings where nobody knows why they're there. You want a predictable cadence of meetings. Um, And you, you know, some really basic stuff, man, that like everybody knows, but lots of people do not sustain. Like always have an agenda for a meeting. Always have a written agenda for a meeting. Um, Ideally, always have... Um, an environment where you're collaboratively taking notes, you know, like a live document where everybody Mm -hmm. in the meeting is taking notes in real time together. You may also have some side notes that you're keeping personally, but if everybody's taking notes together, then if your attention drifts for a moment, or if you feel like you didn't hear something, you can all refer to the same um, page of notes. And, you know, I think on a, on a hybrid project, what can be particularly effective is to set up a, I mean, God, there's just no point in having to schedule meetings every week. So yeah. set up a standing window for when your meeting is going to be. Make sure it's adequate, like probably 45 minutes or an hour every week. It might be more. It might be every two weeks. But it's better to have that window blocked in everybody's schedule. And then, you know, there's a cutoff. Everybody submit your meeting agenda items by 9 a.m. on the day of our meeting um, or maybe 5 p.m. the day before. Um, if everything that's on the agenda, if you see something on the agenda that you think you can address by emailing the person the document they need or answering a question on Teams or whatever, well, we don't need the meeting. And if we don't need the meeting, we'll cancel the meeting. And nobody is ever like, oh, no, we canceled our meeting. I'm so <laughs> sad. I have an hour back. Um, so I think that... Um, And if you commit to the practice of looking at your meeting agenda in advance and considering other ways to get the work done and set the expectation that, you know, probably for a lot of the life of this project, we're going to cancel half or even two thirds of these standing meetings. People will have a better feeling. It's better to say to people, we expect we're putting this on as a weekly meeting, but we expect to cancel to cancel half of them than to say we're going to put them on every other week and then we keep it every week, every other week, even though half the, yeah. like, we don't necessarily have agenda items at that moment. It's the discipline of getting the agenda items in, which makes the difference there, isn't it? And it is. I, th- I think like you say, setting the expectation that we would, we will probably, you know, not actually have half of these meetings mm-hmm. um, is it, it, yeah. certainly motivation to get clear on what the agenda items would be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, that's for the kind of like the the the, the you know the, the the project update meeting that you like. You say yeah. you might have once once a week, once a fortnight. No, I am not a fan of the update meeting. I believe okay. the update meeting should die a slow, painful death. No, a quick, <laughs> painless death. The update meeting made sense in like the olden days before the invention of teams and project Mm. management dashboards, but it's just like a holdover. It's like a, 
it's a security blanket for people who are afraid they're missing stuff, don't trust their teams to read updates. Um, like an update should be, you either have like a dashboard where everybody's latest information is updated. You have um, a group thread at the end of every day. We have this one channel in Teams where everybody posts what they did today. We have a spreadsheet where all of the major tasks are listed and everybody is keeping, yeah. you know, the post posting the latest updates, like the way you, like the way you would with a CRM, like, you know, you, you want people to be posting those updates and reviewing those updates. One of the practices I mentioned, I think in the article is um, you can institute a rhythm as a team where mm. like, let's say nobody ever has, we keep our calendars booked from off from four to four thirty every day. That's the time to review the updates from the rest of the team. We expect you'll post your updates before 4 p.m. And then everybody on the team has to post one thing into that channel, um, you know, by 4.30. It could be a clarification. It could be a question. It could be an additional note. It could be like, hey, Sarah, I'm so stoked to see that you finally um, heard back from that client whatever it is, some essentially attention signal, but also yeah. like be very explicit. Like this is our chance to check in with another, one another, to give each other a little cheer. And if you have the electronic rhythm of having those updates exchanged, then you're not hurting people into a Zoom room just to have them read something or hear something they could see um, on, a, on a screen. Meetings so are for solving problems. So do you think, yeah, that's, that's an interesting point, actually, because what we, you know, what, what, what's often said, particularly about remote teams is that investing in, you know, reinforcing that connection on a regular basis, that connectivity between the team is, is, is really important. So are you, do you then believe that the, that the update mechanisms that you've just been describing there are actually perhaps maybe replace like a daily check-in or, or, yeah. or do they complement? Sure. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then you can have those, I mean, because how, like how emotionally bonded do you feel for, from, you know, hearing your colleagues say, well, um, I reviewed uh, the code base today and there were three errors, um, which we've now addressed and we have a process in place to have fewer errors tomorrow. Like, wow, my heart is warm to you and your comments <laughs> on the code base. Like, that's not very interesting. Whereas if instead um, you have meetings that are about problem solvings or solving or drop-in times where people can riff on things. So, you know, maybe you have a, like, you know, I'm, I remember when we were researching the book, one of the... Um, teams I talked to had this this window, this practice as a team where they have like a coffee window every day between, I think it was like 1130 and 12, um, uh, where people could just drop in and whatever you kind of just felt like getting some help with, um, you know, you could bounce off of other people. Yeah. And, you know, that that's much more useful and, and productive and constructive in terms of building relationships. Um, you know, you want that trust to be built. It, it's it's actually more useful for people to build that relationship in the context of work conversations than to say like, mm -hmm. drop in and tell us about your kid's soccer game. Um, <laughs> but but again, you want it to be so damn boring. Mm. No, it just it, I, I, I think that's really interesting because you, you look at agile practice, you look at some lean yeah. practice as well, and they and they're they're big advocates of daily stand ups and. 
and, and you mm. know that those sorts of practices mm-hmm. um and and what you're suggesting here is a different way a different way mm-hmm. of, uh, of 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 meet and still fulfilling those those needs if you will um well, hmm. i think i think what we tend not to do you know we have a lot of inherited practices in organizations and um we that could really benefit from us like disaggregating them and and looking at what the purpose of the practice is so stand-up meetings in in um every organization i've been in that has stand-up meetings stand-up meetings have a few different purposes one is let people know um what other people are working on two have some sense of uh, intention setting and accountability for the day they're often in the morning so people have to say what they're going to work on for the day um there's um essentially an attendance function everybody yeah. has to be in the office by eight forty-five to make sure they're at the stand-up it's um, physical getting people to literally stand up they're in their bodies they're getting their energy charged up for the day um we're building some sense of relationship among the team by knowing uh, by seeing each other and and interacting verbally and um there's some knowledge sharing element of just like having what everybody else is uh doing um on your radar well, if you like take all of those functions um, and you put them on a list, how many of them are actually best served by a stand-up meeting? I would actually argue none of them. Every single thing that I've just given you is better served in another way. You're going to get stronger relationships among your colleagues if they are sharing um, connection and conversation around something more substantive than here's what I'm doing today. You're going to get more sense of clarity of account, clarity of intention and accountability if they are writing down what they're sharing in some place that everybody will see it forever. Um, you are going to get better physical charge up if people are in some form of physical motion um, rather than just physically standing still. Um, and you're going to get um better clarity on where all the projects are at if it's all stored in some online form and of course what often happens is you have the stand-up meeting and you're doing all of that online accountability so it's like double double duty and as for the attendance like grow up already if you have to take attendance for your (laughs) dev team you got bigger problems than wasted 20 minutes in a stand-up meeting so I, i just think like we are very used to defaulting to meetings as the way we take care of all these different complicated kinds of functions that need to happen within a project. And meetings are sometimes the right solution, yeah. but probably like about a quarter of the things that we use meetings for are best accomplished through meetings. And I, I think what it comes down to is, as you said earlier, you use meetings to address problems and issues. Um, that's yeah. and, and you know find and find solutions um and and like at the outset mm-hmm. to set ex- expectations excellent yeah. like it's really good for like allocating and dividing and yeah. having people feel some sense of ownership of what they're taking on and it's really good for generating right like if you have to think not just problem solving in the sense of like this thing happened but problem solving in the sense of so what do we think our sales campaign should look like what do we think our new product should look like mm-hmm. you know what do we want this year's you know, customer event to look like, like those generative conversations for sure. Alexandra, I really have enjoyed your 
radical challenge to some of the the norms and the practices which uh, a lot of organizations still find themselves running with um and i'm sure our listeners have found it really really interesting too if they if anyone wants to follow up with you or connect with you or read more about you how can they how can they do that well um the best way to stay on top of my uh, my work and the resources I am developing around AI, hybrid work, and, and other changes in the workplace is by subscribing to my newsletter, which is on my website at alexandrasamuel.com. And I also post uh, my latest articles uh, regularly on LinkedIn, as well as my various you know AI experiments and articles I'm reading about the new workplace. Um, so those are the two best places to find me. Okay, lovely. Great. Well, we shall put uh, links to your to your website and also a link to your book, Remote Inc. in the in the show notes, uh, so listeners can can find uh, find you uh, through those. So all that is left for me to do is just to say a huge thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed the conversation, and um, I wish you all the best for the future. And thanks for joining us on Giant Talk. Thank you so much. It was lovely meeting you. Likewise, likewise.